a house of horrors. That's the way El Salvadorian media described the residence of Hugo Osario after his arrest for killing four people in early 2021. The former police officer's property was jam-packed with corpses, with some reporting over 40 bodies being discovered. Listen today to hear the story of this evil, evil man. Welcome, welcome, welcome into Killing, Missing, Hidden, your favorite podcast about bad things. This is also your last episode of Killing, Missing, Hidden of 2022. I am your host, and who am I? Just your old buddy Brad, who was a Criminal defense attorney back in the day, helping me give you a deeper look into some of our cases, at least theoretically, I hope. Who knows if it actually works, but you guys keep coming back, so I guess either I'm doing something right or I'm so spectacularly bad at this, it's entertaining for y'all. I hope everyone is doing much, much better than me and my family. We've been enjoying a bout of the stomach flu running through the house. Yeehaw. So if I sound exhausted, it's because I'm operating off of so very, very little sleep. Um, this episode is a bit special in, in a special sort of way. No, that's a poet wouldn't say that. Somebody who could write with words would say something better than that. I'm glad I'm not writing. I'm just talking. Uh, anyway, so... The reason why this episode is special is it takes place in El Salvador, and for some reason, which I have yet to figure out, but I enjoy the heck out of, we are really, really popular in El Salvador. I mean, the last, you know, I, I get email updates on where we stand in various charts, you know, from time to time. We were number four down there on the Apple charts. Yet we've never done a case of El Salvador, so I'm here to erase that error. I thought it'd be a nice way to, to end our year to check that box. We're going to give our friends in El Salvador an episode-long shout-out. Pretty snazzy, I know. All right. That's all I wanted to say. I know. I, I went overboard with the banter there. I apologize. But it was something important that we had to mention. So, anyway, let's jump into this one. Now, El Salvador is not a safe place to live. According to the latest statistics from the World Bank, who I think gets their data from the UN, only Jamaica, Venezuela... Trinidad and Tobago and Lothasio have more murders per 100,000 people. And if you're a woman, it's just as bad. With only the Central African Republic, Guyana, Jamaica, and Nambia being deadlier. And, and this is actually good news. This has been an improvement, like a significant improvement. You know, if you listen to the El Salvadorian government, they talk about what major strides they've made. 
and they've reduced crime so much. Now, there's the kink in the story because watchdog groups have said, yeah, but these numbers don't jive with the numbers we've been collecting. One group insists the femicide rate, the, the murder rate for females, is at least gone up by 27%. It has not gone down at all, despite what the official numbers say. Now, this is due to the fact that El Salvador is basically ruled by gangs. One report I found said that 247 of El Salvador's 262 municipalities are under some form of control from gangs be it either the gangs serve as the de facto government in the region down to they just control certain intersections in the drug trade. But regardless, I mean, that's all but 15 municipalities. There's 15 cities where the gangs are not in control to some degree. That's how bad it is. And on top of this, you've got corruption. The citizens of the country can't rely on their local police for help. A, a recent survey found that 90% of citizens did not trust the government, including the police. Like any governmental institution, nope, they're not going to listen to them. They're not going to trust them. They don't believe them. In the name of shutting down gang activities, police have taken the approach of arresting anyone and everyone who's seen loitering in gang-controlled areas, or who are viewed as acting suspiciously, or those who just don't show the proper respect to the badge. This includes people like journalists, human rights activists, and protesters. As of June, over 2% of El Salvador's entire population is being held in custody for some crime. 2%. One out of every 50 people in an area is in jail for some reason. And those that have been detained can go years without seeing a courtroom. And oftentimes when they do finally make it to court, they walk in meeting their appointed public defender for the first time to be told that you better plead guilty to something so he can move this case along or you're going to pay for it in the end. Because of the system, as you might well expect, jails are incredibly overcrowded. Most are over capacity by 200% or more. And of course, there are innumerable reports of abuse, torture, and just a general lack of supervision within the jails, allowing basically the meanest and toughest to rule each cell block. It's a horrifying and depressing situation which is what makes the story of Hugo Osorio so much worse. And the fact that the media in El Salvador were chilled to the bones by his crimes just really speaks to how upsetting this whole situation is. I mean, when you live in filth and you find something is so dirty that you don't want to touch it, that means something, right? That's what we've got here. Now, we normally like to start our stories at the beginning, but there isn't much on Hugo's life that I could find before his arrest. So he was about 51 years old when he was finally picked up by police. And he was living in an area called Chalchupua, 
which is about 35 miles northwest of San Salvador, the nation's capital, and only about six miles from the El Salvador-Guatemala border. And these distances, of course, are as the crow flies. Oddly enough, I had to include this when I saw it, the website TripAdvisor, which is a travel website, which if you're not familiar with it, has some oddly good things to say about visiting Chowchuapa. I'm going to dispel that notion, or at least do my best to dispel that motion in your pretty little heads, because this is not a place you want to go. Okay, so let's get back to Hugo here. We're going to generously say that he's a retired police officer. He's not a police officer anymore, but it's not really totally by his choice. It's because he was caught raping at least two minors and was sentenced to five years in prison. So he kind of lost his badge when that happened. Police had been keeping an eye on him because there had been reports that he was in the pocket of at least one of the gangs. He was in his mid to late 30s when this went down, as best I can tell. And it was after he left jail that he moved up to Chowchuapa. His neighbors described him as a nice dude who never really messed with anyone in his community. He was friendly and all that. And they never described him as being suspicious in any way. Until one fateful evening in May of 2021. May 7th, to be exact. Was that Siete de Mayo? Huh? Yeah, Spanish here, baby. The silence of the night was interrupted by a young woman's screams for help, followed by an audible and sickening thud noise, and then silence. A very uneasy silence. Police responded to phone calls from concerned neighbors. 60 minutes later, despite the police station being just over a mile away, And when they arrived to the location where the screams had been heard, they poked around, and sure enough, they found a trail of blood. And this trail of blood in the street led back to a house, which happened to be Hugo's house. The neighbors, obviously, were just a wink off the mark about Hugo and what type of person he was. When the police went inside, they immediately spotted the bodies of two women in the front room and the body of a man next to them. Two more dead men were found floating in the property's septic tank in the backyard. When police went to identify the bodies and to try to determine an initial cause of death, something struck them as odd. One of the bodies, despite being covered in blood, was breathing. So there's some hope. We can figure out what's going on here except the one that was breathing was Hugo. He had attempted to feign his death by cutting himself and attempting to remain motionless with the other bodies in the hopes that he could escape the scene. It's a bold move. I'll give him that. Bold move didn't pay off. So what went wrong? I mean, how did Hugo's little house of horrors get exposed? Well, we can blame it all on one innocent guy and his dumb, loving family who is concerned about his safety. So on the morning of May 7th, Alexis Polamol said goodbye to his family. 
He was leaving that day for the United States, thanks to some coyotes Hugo knew who could help him out. Alexis found out about Hugo's operation when his mom actually met Hugo. She was working in some retail store. Hugo was a customer. He was buying some things, and they were chit-chatting as he checked out. And she mentioned how her son was kind of miserable. He didn't have money to finish college, and he really didn't have a future to speak of and didn't really know what to do with his life from this point forward. And so Hugo graciously said, well, hey, you know what? I've got my brother. He's, he's a coyote. He helps people get across the border into the United States. And so if he wants to make a run of it there, I'll be happy to do it. He charges seven grand. It's got to be cash. But you get it together, we'll get them across the border. So the family kind of hustled and put together this money and gave it to Hugo. And he was like, all right, I gotcha. I gotcha. So like I said, Alexis gets the stuff together, leaves the morning of May 7th. And that evening, the family gets a call from Hugo saying that their boy had been kidnapped somewhere in Guatemala while trying to make it to Mexico. So the mom decided to make an unannounced trip to Hugo's house around 10 p.m. and brought along her 26-year-old daughter, Christina. I mean, safety in numbers, right? Plus, it helps when your daughter is kind of a really, really gifted judo practitioner. But that didn't help a whole lot. When they arrived at the house, Hugo was surprised. He kept them outside for a few minutes and then invited them in. Mom and then daughter. As soon as mom was beyond the threshold, though, he absolutely clubbed her with a steel pipe, probably killing her instantly. He tried to grab the daughter, but she was able to out judo him and she ran into the streets. That's the person people heard yelling in the night. And she was the one that left a blood trail back to Hugo's house. She had her head smashed open by the fiercest of blows from that pipe that Hugo could muster. Police would let her identify one of the men in the septic tank as Alexis. The second body, the second male in the septic tank, was none other than Hugo's own brother, the coyote. There's speculation that Hugo and his brother got into a dispute over the pay, and Hugo you know, kind of ended the argument bluntly. While this is certainly a horrific crime, why is it pointed out that Hugo's one of the evilest men in El Salvador? Why have prison authorities made these bold and colorful statements to the populace that we will keep him in a cell where he will have no contact with people? In fact, he won't even see the sun. Why do newspapers refer to him as a vile psychopath? Well, this, dear listener, that's because, of course, there's more to the story than we've covered. If you happen to pause the podcast here and do your own research on Hugo, first of all, shame on you for interrupting me. But you will find that he's consistently referred to as a serial killer. Well, as we know, or as I hope you've learned, 
A serial killer, by most definitions, is someone who kills three or more people with a lapse of time between each murder. And that lapse is usually calculated somewhere around a month. You know, you got to have 30 days between murders and you got to do it three or more times. So we've got the three or more murders part checked off, right? But it looked like Hugo committed these murders all on the same day. So that means we got to look back to find out why he's referred to as a serial killer. Why he's such a bad dude. First, let's get this out of the way. Hugo confessed to a lot of crimes. Lots and lots of crimes. Not just murder, but a whole mess of things. And he had a lot of accomplices. At least ten. Now, despite his criminal background, it doesn't appear that Hugo was one who was motivated by some sort of sexual fetish or thrill. He was just greedy. He wanted money. Hugo was all about the dollar dollar bills. Now, his typical MO is to either wait for someone to make themselves a target, like Alexis' mom did, or present himself as a businessman who had an opportunity to grow his business and wanted to share this with his potential victim. For example, there was one time where he and an accomplice approached a young woman who was working at a kiosk selling purses and handbags and things like that. Hugo flattered her, saying that, you know, he had been watching her, she had the skills of a natural saleswoman, and he could really use somebody like her in his company. He asked her to meet with him and his associate when she got off work that night, of course, at his house. Now, miraculously, she left the house alive that night. But two weeks later, she excitedly told her mom she was off to report for her first shift, with this new company, and that's when she disappeared. It turns out she was going back to Hugo's house to receive some training on what she would be selling or some additional instructions, whatever it was. When she arrived, according to Hugo, she walked in the door and he smashed her skull with that steel pipe. Now, though it's not explicitly stated anywhere, I got the impression that since, when coupled with his financial motive behind a lot of these crimes, it seems like this was one of those deals where, hey, I've got this stuff you can sell, you buy it from me, you know, at $5, and then you sell it for $10, and it's a win-win for both of us. Your basic pyramid scheme. Otherwise, there'd be no reason to kill this woman if the financial motive is true and correct. Some reports claim that Hugo would put these teenage girls to work for a spell and then would encourage them to share a list of their friends off of Facebook or other social media platforms, specifically trying to target those women or young girls who really wanted to get out of El Salvador, who really wanted to make it to the United States. And then he would use this list to make his own list of potential targets to finance, I guess what you would call his lifestyle, such as it was. Hugo also kind of supplemented his income to rent out his house when friends wanted to use it. You know, it was a party hub. You know, well, no, 
party is not the right word. You know, n nobody rented it out to watch the World Cup. It, it was more for criminal activities. And we have an example for that. One associate kidnapped a mother and her teenage daughter, brought them to Hugo's house, and then raped and murdered the two women. And basically, it seems like the rules with Hugo was, you can do whatever you want in my house, but you're responsible for cleanup. Or at least that's what Hugo told the authorities. Everyone else killed folks on my land. It's kind of his story. It wasn't me. It was everyone else. It was all my buddies. You know, I just hang out with some jokers, and this is how they pass the time. There's uh, another story where a soldier rented the house because he had been carrying on an affair. And due to this affair that he didn't want his wife to know about, he had kind of had a few too many children. I don't think we're talking at canon levels, but it was enough that he was like, I can't support this anymore. So this has to go away. So he kidnapped the his paramour and the four children he fathered with her, brought them to Hugo's house, and just shot them all. Killed them right there and there. Yet another story. This one involves the taxi drivers who was friends with Hugo. The driver admitted to having a crush on a local girl, but she would never give him any attention. So Hugo, being the kind-hearted man he is, said, I'll help you out. You be at my house on this night. I'll get her there. You'll have a chance to wine and dine her, okay? So what that means to us is different than what it means to Hugo. Hugo's idea of whining and dining was kidnapping this woman when she left work, taking her to his house, and then locking her inside with this taxi driver. Hugo says he went to go get some aphrodisiacs, specifically in the form of the sexy fried chicken. And he says that when he came back home, oh my gosh, the taxi driver had murdered this girl. What? Who could have seen this coming? So that's why it's been reported there are more than 40 bodies on Hugo's property. Like, this was a one-stop shop for all your criminal needs. You can murder them, you clean it up, and you can bury them, and all you have to do is pay them a rental fee. Now, local media, when, the, when this whole story breaks in May of 2021 okay local media is all over it and they're there watching the police you know just comb the grounds they are pulling bodies out of this ditch and by the media's count they had confirmed if you want to say it's confirmed that 24 bodies were found but the attorney general who's kind of the chief you know prosecutor and kind of the chief law enforcement officer in El Salvador, didn't like the media poking around for whatever reason. So he actually went so far as to go to court and get a restraining order or an injunction forbidding any member of an El Salvadorian newspaper, website, blog, television station, radio station, 
if your job was within like three degrees of the media, you were forbidden from talking about this case. You know, when outfits like the AP or uh, Reuters would ask for comments or updates on the case, you know, an outside entity that wasn't under the jurisdiction of the El Salvadorian courts, the AG's office just refused to respond. And the few times they did respond, they just say, well, this is a confidential matter. When I say this is being treated as confidential, I mean, it is confidential, okay? There are no court records available to the public. There are none. This is all being done in total darkness. We don't even know who Hugo's attorney is. We don't know if he hired one. We don't know if one was appointed for him. We certainly don't know which specific prosecutors are working on the case. It's all blank. It's just a white sheet of paper if you open up that file in the courthouse. Now, we do know from a press conference the AG's office held that Hugo was initially charged with two counts of homicide and two counts of femicide. Now, in a lot of Latin American countries and other parts of the world, femicide is just a different form of homicide. It's, the, it's, a, it's a murder that's motivated by the victim being female. There have been at least nine other people charged in connection with this case be it anything from aggravated homicide to femicide to kidnapping to assault, just kind of whatever you can think of. It's believed, but of course we can't confirm this, that the bulk of the bodies found on Hugo's property are women. I would dare say it's probably women and children, at least based off of that one soldier's story. Now, interestingly, and again, somewhat suspiciously, the Attorney General held a press conference a few weeks after having this case locked down as confidential, wherein he informed the media that a plea deal had been offered to Hugo, but refused to provide any details about this plea deal whatsoever. In July, again, we're still in 2021. In July, a government-employed criminologist was sanctioned formally by the government for reporting to a member of the media that they had found at least 40 bodies at Hugo's property. In October, skeletal remains of 12 victims who had been identified were returned to their families, according to media reports. Now, apparently, what's going on when we hear media reports after this injunction is in place is, you know, reporters for these El Salvadorian media sources are getting the information and then going to their friends in other countries to say, hey, here's what's up. And then they're doing the reporting at this point. So... In October of last year, we know that 12 remain, skeletal remains have been returned to families. The AG's office, when this was reported, came out and said, no, no, that's not true. We found 30 bodies total on Hugo's property, and every single one of them has been returned to their families. 
there's reports that the number of people charged in connection with this crime has gone up, possibly just by one or two people, but it's no longer at Hugo plus nine friends. Most common re number I saw was Hugo plus 11 friends. Needless to say, all of the secretism has caused the residents of this poor country, again, one that's ravaged by gang violence, under constant decay from corruption, to begin speculating on what's really going on behind the scenes. Now, I looked and I looked and I looked, and I could not find any further reports on the story, at least in English, since October of 2021. So the news blackout has been in effect for over a year now as I record this. This is a very horrific case, and I think it's one that needs media attention. It needs to be brought into the light because the Attorney General's office has done such a good job of keeping it in the shadows. And of course, that elicits just a bazillion strong opinions about, you know, justice being delved out in the dark from me. I mean, tell me one good reason there is to keep this prosecution in the dark. Just one. You've allegedly got the ringleader of this little cabal of sick little twisted men who just kill for sport or fun or whatever, who like bullying women and children. Why not keep the press updated on what's going on? Let them know that their government is working for them to clean up all of this mess, to stop the crime. There's no corruption in the light, right? So the only reason to do this is because the Attorney General is planning on doing something that the public won't like. We all know Hugo has been charged with four homicides, essentially. And that the AG has said, yeah, we're willing to reduce his charges or at least his sentence if he'll cooperate with us. And this, from what I learned, unlike in America, in the United States legal system, you can do a plea agreement at any point in time during the criminal process. Apparently in El Salvador, you have to file a pleadings with the court to let them know that we're giving this defendant an opportunity to cooperate so that he may or she may help get out of jail earlier. From what I can tell, and you know, I'm not an expert on El Salvadorian law, I barely know Alabama law, and that's what I practiced for so many years. But from what I can tell, Hugo could be sentenced to 100 years for each charge if he's found guilty. But obviously, that's not a realistic possibility here. That's not going to happen at all. So we've got a country that is controlled by violent gangs, a government ripe with corruption, and a populace struggling just to live a normal life. Hugo's this former police officer who's believed to have ties to one or more gangs. The government is thought to be influenced strongly by the more powerful gangs of El Salvador. So is it really, honestly, is it really such a stretch 
to learn that maybe Hugo was important to some of these criminal entities. And the AEG has to figure out a way to let him off with just a slap on the wrist without causing a riot. Honestly, I fully, fully expect prosecutors to blame the bulk of these murders on the accomplices and hold Hugo responsible only for helping cover up the crimes. His sentence is going to be something time served plus a little bit of extra time. You know, be that six months, a year, uh, who knows? But I promise you, from the way this one's going, at least, unless we just get a major swerve in the direction of this case, we're not going to hear anything else about what's going on with Hugo until it's time to announce the slap on the wrist. I'm sorry that I don't have more to analyze here. I feel like we're just getting a tiny slice of this pie. But that it is what it is. And again, I do, you know, I wanted to cover this case, number one, as a shout out to our El Salvadorian listeners. Number two, because this is ridiculous that it's being done and nobody seems to bat an eye at it. Um, if you're interested in learning more, good luck. <laughs> I, I, I'm not usually arrogant enough to say, hey, I've covered all everything I could find here. But my show notes are pretty extensive here and they seem to say a lot of the same things over and over and over. Of course, you can check them out um, if you want to. If you can find anything I missed, I'd love to hear it because this is a case I would kind of like to follow. I, I think we have to take a moment here and say that Christina, you remember Alexis's sister, has to kind of be the hero in this case. Had she not been able to break free and yell for help, I have no doubt Hugo would have just continued to kill. He would. I mean, he he was not a mastermind. He was not you know, disposing of bodies in a way that they can never be found. He was a lazy murderer, so it was a matter of time before he got caught. But she at least helped bring his reign of terror to an end more quickly. It's just heartbreaking that the hero of this case has to meet such a horrific end. I also kind of hope that y'all listen to this episode and realize that some of the places that we want to go visit, some of the places maybe recommended by websites like TripAdvisor, aren't as safe as you might expect. I mean, did you notice when we were going through the list of homicide rates, who was in the top five for both overall homicides and femicides? Jamaica. Major tourist destination. But you step off of and the tourist traps and you are in trouble. So please, if you travel to a new land, just be careful. I mean, there's no indication that we have so far that any of Hugo's victims are foreigners. It's easier to hunt locals if you're of this mind. But, you know, just be aware of where you're going and what dangers you may face there. Keep your eyes open. Don't do anything stupid. You know, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I had an old criminology professor who said the people who most likely to get victimized are those who put themselves in a position to be victimized. So that's my little PSA there. 
All right, let's jump into that palate cleanser. I know this is what you all have been waiting for. I know you're thinking, how are we going to go a month without one? But you're a tough lot. I believe in y'all. So this this is going to be a fun one. It kind of works on two levels. It matches the subject of our podcast here, and it mocks my oldest child. So let's do it. What do saxophones and murder investigations have in common? What do saxophones and murder investigations have in common? Everyone is relieved when the cases are closed. (laughs) My oldest plays saxophone in the marching band here at our local high school. So I have to, you know, take a shot at him. Uh, You know, I, um, I just can't. uh, The Simpsons ruined me, you know, from a young age. I cannot see the word saxophone and think without thinking of Homer saying saxophone. It drives me crazy. And I've also learned from my son that at least in our neck of the woods, there's a rivalry between saxophones and trumpets. I, I had no idea about this. Like they, they, you know, my son is just saying, oh, everybody can play the trumpet. It's the most overrated instrument, blah, 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 blah. Okay, so I'll be spending the month of December learning to play the trumpet. Then maybe we can finally start that family ska band I've always wanted. Then we can, you know, travel around and and solve mysteries in a van. Oh, I've always wanted to do that. All right. So again, on that lovely note, this is our last episode of 2022. I'm taking some time off. I'm going to be working on some things behind the scenes. I hope to have some amount of news for y'all come January about kind of the future of the podcast. Don't forget now, we rotate our merch every month, and I won't be here in December. So please make sure you check out what merch we put up in December for y'all to peruse, okay? Our sales are slowly trickling up. People are looking at this and saying, you know what? It's not crap. I mean, the designs may be crap. I'm not going to defend those. But the quality of the merchandise is actually pretty pretty decent. You know, I've, I've been buying some of it or ordering samples of it, and it's, it's all impressed me. Uh, you know what? Merch is the wrong word. We need to stop using that. We're going to start calling these limited... Limited edition collector's items. That's what we sell. Limited edition collector's items. Because honestly, once it's up on the website and then it goes away, you're not going to see it again. Until I make a mistake and accidentally redo the same design on the same product. Um, It also kind of helps our podcast. You know, it takes money to do this. Well, more time than anything, but it helps with the money part at least. I will say, too, while I'm rambling here at the end, watch our Facebook, watch our Instagram during December. There may be a surprise or two, or it may be the surprises. There's no surprise. But if things go as I plan, I mean, I don't plan for my whole house to be quarantined with the stomach flu. So things like that I can't control. But, you know, we we just play the hand we're dealt here. All right. Well, thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing us with your friends, your family, your enemies. Now, look, 
I know the holiday season is in full swing now. I would suggest giving Mariah Carey a rest this year and just play Kill and Miss and Hidden on a loop for your loved ones. The beauty of it is they'll probably leave your house faster. And if you're anything like me, if you're a bad person like me, then you want nothing more than to get back to bed at night. And company just gets in the way of that. So that's my tip. That's one of my little gifts for you. This, you know, just just play us. Just start at episode one and let it go. We've got, you know, plenty of content to drive your loved ones crazy. All right. With that being said, everybody have an awesome December. Let's close out this year on a good note. I love you guys. Everything you've done for the podcast has been awesome. Y'all are the only reason I keep coming back and doing this thing. I could be sitting around playing video games. I could be taking a nap. But instead, I'm working on this. And I do it because I enjoy it. And y'all seem to enjoy it. So, yay. All right. I'll see y'all on the flip side. Brad out. You survived another episode of Killing Missing Hidden, the podcast about bad things. Join us next time for another true and thrilling story.